unappreciated for your work, a frustrating experience for those who have known it. Dr. Hunter addresses that subject in today's message. From the New American Standard Version, he's chosen Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now let's join Dr. Hunter and his message, Unappreciated for Your Work. By the way, we, uh, <clears throat> we apologize for the uh, typo in last Sunday's bulletin that said the time change was this weekend. It is next weekend. As you who came early knew, and now you have coffee and breakfast in you and you can listen better. I am preaching a series that fits into that 10-year spiritual journey. And this year we're going to talk about why God allows the limitations in our lives that he does. And you know that the first part of this year I talked about limitations we experience in our personal development. And now this series I'm talking about limitations at work. And I want to talk to you a little while this morning about... um, being unappreciated at work. I am aware that a number of you work so very hard in what you do, whether it's at a paid job or, a, or a, you're working at home or you're at school. Um, you're working in little volunteer ways and, and no one exactly pays attention to what you're doing. You do your duty. You do it well. But no one ever says thank you. And sometimes you wonder if anybody ever notices. Sometimes, often, you wonder if what you're doing really matters. Because if it mattered, wouldn't someone notice? And you are beginning to develop, not willingly, but subtly, the sense that what you're doing really doesn't count. And there's a disappointment in that because you're doing the job the best you know how to do. You're just not getting appreciated for it. Well, many have that kind of feeling in their work. You aren't the first ones. There are some who, because they did their jobs all along, really should have had the best recognition in their estimation. We have this little formula in our mind that that praise should be proportionate to the amount of work done and the quality of work done, and that's not how it works out in this world. So I'm going to go through some scriptures with you. Now, it just so happens in this week's prayer time, God gave me a lot more scriptures than he gave me stories. So we're just going to walk our way through scriptures this morning, and I want to show you some things about praise and about our need for praise and what happens when that praise doesn't come. First of all, Luke chapter 15. Let me take you back to the story of the prodigal son. And let me take you back to the older brother and the attitude of the older brother. You know, for many Christians, and, and remind, let me remind you now, I'm, I'm preaching to the Christians. I hope that's, that many of you accept Christ, 
Don't try to apply what I'm trying to teach. If you're not a Christian, you'll kill yourself trying to do it. You just can't do it. But, but many Christians, J. Wallace Hamilton used to say, don't commit sins of passion. Their sins are sins of disposition. Now, the older brother in the story of the prodigal son had the sin of disposition. He had a bad attitude. Not atypical for a firstborn kid, by the way, who does his job the best he can. He's always been the, the hard worker, the, the one who does his job, and so on and so forth. And when the prodigal son comes home, he can't quite understand why there's so much to do over a kid that's gone out and sinned like he has. When he's been there all along, as a matter of fact, he says to his father in verse 29, For so many years I have been serving you and have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. I'm hurt, he says. I didn't get appreciated for my work. And that's not right. There's another uh, passage that is, that is just about like that. Matthew chapter 20. Remember when Jesus is hiring the laborers in the vineyard. I'm sorry, the, 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 uh, the master is. And he promises them a denarii for going out and working all day. And he hires people throughout the day, and it comes that when, they, when it comes to, to, to the pay at the end of the day, the ones who signed on late get just as much as the ones who signed on early. In verse 12, it says that they're grumbling. The ones who, who worked all day, they're grumbling, and they say, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and scorching heat of the day. Now, that's a pretty legitimate gripe, isn't it? And the prodigal son's older brother has a pretty legitimate gripe, doesn't he? And in our mind, if those inequities are pointed out, they ought to be corrected immediately. Right? As a matter of fact, you're thinking, well, I'm working this hard. If somebody would just notice, then they would repent of their ingratitude and they would recognize me immediately. They're just not aware that they're not appreciating me. And so you go on with your expectation that as soon as they find out what they're doing, they're going to rectify the situation. Of course, you've been waiting a long time for that, haven't you? And the bad news is you've got a longer time to wait. Because Jesus said, that's the way the world is. As a matter of fact, in chapter 15 of Luke, he adds insult to injury. He says, I tell you what, there's a shepherd. He's got 99 sheep. One sheep goes away. And he leaves the 99 to go search for that one. Now, that's not very good mathematics, is it? What are those poor old, 99, what are those poor old 98 going to do? Or 99 or whatever. I don't know. Forget the math. <laughs> what are they going to do if a wolf comes up? There he is chasing one sheep. And he says, you know what? There's more rejoicing over one sinner that repents than for 99 who stayed righteous. Now that doesn't make any sense, does it? Doesn't to me. In other words, what he is saying is that the world is arranged so that there won't be reciprocity in a worldly way for those 99 who stayed straight and did their duty. As a matter of fact, when the prodigal son, older brother, pointed out to his father, the father says, look, you're my son. You've always had everything I, everything I have is yours. 
But we had to do this. We had to make Mary. In other words, I didn't make a mistake here. When the hire gets reproached by the laborer, he says, you know what? You signed on for a denarii. I did what I told you I was going to do. Are you reproaching me just for being generous? The bottom line is this. Those of you who are doing your work day after day probably will never get any more recognition than you have right now. Because that's the way the world is arranged. Now, that may make you a little angry. Because in your mind, that's not fair. But I'm sure you've heard this before. The world was not arranged to be fair. And if you haven't heard that before, you need to hear it right now. The world was not arranged to be fair. It may make you angry enough that you think God made a mistake. In Ezekiel 18.25, Israel accuses God of that. God says, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. He says, you're saying that I made a mistake? No, you're the ones that are making a mistake. So if we think that somehow God hadn't built this world right and that the people who do their duty all along ought to be the ones who get the worldly accolades and somehow there's some sort of mistake, we're wrong. Well, then that still leaves us with the question, how does this seeming inequity get answered? Because there's a basic sense of justice in there that says that's not right. Well, the reason that God allows so many people to go through the frustration of doing their duty day after day after day is also made plain in the Scripture. He wants us to correct our theology. He wants us to correct our focus. Now, let me tell you a little bit about what people have done over the years with a sense of duty. There has been, since the beginning of wisdom, a utilitarian sense of duty. In other words, why should I keep doing my duty no matter what? And Aristotle said, and John Stuart Mill put into its most succinct language, that you do your duty because it will ultimately result in your happiness. They believed that people did their duty because ultimately they would be happier people for it. But, I submit to you, that's an inadequate answer. Because I know a lot of people who go through their whole life doing their duty and are miserable in doing it. Case in point, the older brother. Got a lousy attitude. It's not making him a happy person. Making him a miserable person. That can't be the answer. Well, next, people said, well, you do your duty. The Stoics said, Stoicism as as espoused by Marcus Aurelius and uh, Epictetus and, and even Immanuel Kant agreed with this. Say you do your duty because that's what you do in your corner of the universe. There's a moral imperative inside of you and you do it just because it's right to do, whether it makes you happy or not. Well, now that's a little bit closer to the truth. You do your duty because that's your corner of the universe. If you don't do that, it isn't going to get done. And so you do it. But that still doesn't give a sense of, well, how does this fit in the whole plan? I mean, how do I know that what I'm doing is good? Well, later, St. Thomas Aquinas comes along and says, well, I'll tell you what. People do their duty because natural law is parallel to divine law. 
natural duty fulfillment is parallel to happiness. You don't do it in order to be happy, but happiness kind of floats alongside of you while you do it. And if you fulfill the natural law, that's almost the same as fulfilling the divine law. And you'll always almost be happy because you've done your duty. It wasn't until John Calvin nailed why we do our duty, put it into language, that a great theology gave vision to why we do what we're supposed to do, whether we're thanked or not. He said, you do your duty because the natural law is the divine law. You don't do your duty to fulfill something. You do your duty in order to become holy, in order to be like God, in order to fulfill your nature of Jesus Christ. That's why you do it. Because no one else is noticing, but God never misses it. Turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me. Let me show you something. Matthew chapter 6 deals with that nature in us that never went away since we were little kids. Remember when you were a little kid, you may not remember this, but you may have kids and you may notice this in them. There's a stage when a kid grows up and he says, all the kid can say is, hey dad, watch this. Hey mom, watch this. And they'll do a little trick. Now if you say, oh, that's very good, they stop immediately, right? Not on your life. Man, they are all day. Oh yeah, well, so watch this. Well, okay, watch this. Watch, 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 watch. No, 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 it's not going to be the same as last time. Watch, watch this. And they can go all day long. And the Bible recognized that that nature never leaves us. We want to be recognized by the people we love and we admire for what we're doing. We're all, we always have that in us. But Jesus says in verse 6 here, I'm sorry, verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Gives us a warning. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, or or somewhere towards the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, don't count on the praise of men. Don't make that the reason that you do the right thing. Because he knows you're not going to get the praise of men. They may not even notice. They probably won't unless you go to some extravagant degree to make them notice. But where does he say you get your praise? When you just do the subtle things, he says, the subtle right things, there's a formula in this chapter. Look at verse 4, in the last sentence of verse 4. It says, And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Look at verse 6, last sentence. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Look at verse uh, 18. Last sentence. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Are you picking up a pattern here? Look, the first thing Jesus says to our feeling unappreciated is, you got the wrong audience. The right audience is God. He never misses a thing you're doing. And he will repay you. Let's go back to the prodigal son's older brother. You know that young whippersnapper, that prodigal son came back? And all he got was a party. But the father said to the older brother, All I have is yours. 
The Bible says that as we do what we are supposed to do, we are literally accumulating awards, rewards, it says, in heaven. It's not a waste of time. It is not unnoticed. The Father will repay us. Oh, we don't get any attention down here on earth. But we get attention from God. So we've got the wrong audience if we're expecting people to thank us. And the reason that we work needs to be changed. We don't work in order to get people's approval. We work as unto the Lord. Colossians chapter 3 says this. Chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. The reason we're so frustrated with people not thanking us, with people not noticing what we're doing, is because we're not doing it for the right people. We're supposed to be doing it for the Lord. And God will let us get frustrated until we turn our attention on Him. And until we do it for Him instead of for people. Why should we do it for Him? 2 Corinthians 5.15 is a wonderful verse. We usually quote 2 Corinthians 5.17. For any man being Christ, he is a new creature. Go two verses back and there's a wonderful verse in 5.15. Look what it says. He died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You have a new person to live for. You're not living for yourself anymore. You're living for Christ. If you're a Christian, that's who you live for. And so, Therefore, the Bible is saying, I want you to get your theology straight here. You're not doing work so that you can be praised, so that you can feel good, so that you can be happy, so that you can feel fulfilled. That's not why you do work. You do work because you're living for God now. You do work in order to bring God to people's attention. Now look at Matthew. Look at our chapter or our text. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. This gives us the how of work. The how of work. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, what is easier for people to see when you are doing your job, just doing your job. If you're a cobbler, you're doing a cobbler business. If you're a mom, you're doing the mom business. If you're a, a A baseball coach, you're doing a baseball coach business. You're doing it the best you can, working heartily as unto the Lord. It is so much easier for people to see God if you're not a high-profile person. Because people look at you and they say, I know they're not doing that for attention because they don't get that much attention from it. There's got to be another reason. And when people know you're a Christian, they know the reason. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I said, Christians ought to learn the difference between being shepherds and sheepdogs. Sheepdogs run around trying to keep everybody in line. Shepherds just walk, talking, and the people who want to follow can follow. Sheepdogs think that they're supposed to be the managers of the universe, and and shepherds don't. Well, I'd like you this week to consider the difference between being a light bulb and light. When it says, let your light Shine. Light is not something that you can stare at. It's something you can see by. 
People who believe themselves to be the light of the world, who want to draw attention to themselves, if they would just think about it for a minute, know that if people are staring at them, they can't see anything else. They can't see God. They can't see how God's arranged the world. You don't put light in your house so that you can look at the source of light. You don't put a light bulb in your house so you can stare at a light bulb. You ever do that? Take your eyes off. If you stare at a light bulb for a little bit, you can't see anything else. That light's just right where you are. You can't see anything else. No, light is given so that you can see other things, not so that you can look at it. And when when the Scripture says, let your light so shine before men so that they can see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, the Bible is saying your job is to do your job the best you can. Study as hard as you can. If you're a student, be the best spouse you can if you're married. Do your best work because you're a Christian. And somehow people will say, there's something different about that light. There's something different about that life. And I want to know why it's different. Not to pay attention to the person, but I want to know what they got that I don't have. And then they trace their way back to God. Now, let me just take a couple of seconds to tell you how you can get there from where you are. What are the practical application process that will take you there? Because some of you are downright hurt because the people you wish would notice what you're doing never notice. Well, that's the first step. You know when Jesus prayed in Matthew 6.12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? Those people owe you. Those people owe you thanks. You've got to release them from that debt. You've got to look at them and say, you know what? You owe me big time, but I'm not going to ask you to pay me. And you do that for a couple of reasons. You do it, first of all, because you realize you owe God everything and you don't thank Him every other word. And you got, you got, the, you got released from your debt. But second of all, I want you to realize that as long as you hold them accountable for the gratitude that they owe you, it is you who are in prison, not them. If they aren't sensitive enough to thank you, they don't even know there's anything wrong. And they're not going to realize it and come back and say, Oh, I'm so sorry. Forget it. And as long as you keep that grudge, as long as you keep that bad attitude, it's your... Remember in Matthew 18, where the king calls in someone who owes him like a hundred zillion dollars? And the guy goes, oh, I'm so sorry. And the king goes, okay, forget it. I, I got compassion on you. And that same guy goes out. And the some guy who owes him a hundred bucks hangs on his lapels and throws him in prison. And the king comes back to the original guy and says, you didn't forgive him? You go to prison. And you stay there. Who do you think is in prison when you don't forgive somebody? It's not the person you haven't forgiven. It's you. Cut them slack. Be gracious. Forgive them. Say to them, it's okay. Or say to yourself, it's okay, that they have not appreciated you. Matthew Henry was one of the great intellects. He was one of the great Bible commentators. And one day Matthew Henry got robbed on the street. And as, as full of the Holy Spirit as he was, he prayed a prayer of thanksgiving for four things. He said, Lord, I thank you, first of all, that I've never been robbed before. 
Second of all, Lord, I thank you that he took my purse and didn't take my life. Third, I thank you that even though he took everything I had, it wasn't much. But fourth, listen to this. He said, I thank you that I was the robbed and not the robber. You're in a good position as being the one who is owed and not the owner. Cut him some slack. And then I want you to appreciate God's appreciation of you. In Matthew 25, the master comes to someone who has invested their life. And he says this, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in little things. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Please realize that for everything you're not getting thanked for on earth, you're entering into the joy of your master. And he appreciates what you're doing. He notices everything. Hear that voice of God. Well done. Enter into the joy of your master. Pray with me right now. God, if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't have a personal relationship with you so that they literally can't hear your notice of their life, let them right now say, God, I want a personal relationship. Jesus, come into my life. Make my relationship right with God. Forgive my sins. And make of my life whatever you want it. I want to follow God instead of making my own way from now on. For the rest of us who have already prayed that, Lord, take us to another level of spiritual maturity. Help us not to look to the appreciation of men, but to sense the appreciation of you for a job well done. Help us to know that we are accumulating treasures in heaven simply because we're doing our job the best we can, the best you can. And help us to know that as we do that, eventually people will glorify you We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.